welcome to the Loving Lake Geneva podcast. I'm your host, Karen Stray Rappaport. Each episode, I take an outside-the-wake look at the area's most interesting people, places, and happenings. It's another great day here in Lake Geneva, and the lake looks stunning, so let's jump right in. Today, we are flying high. You like that, John? Love it. Love it. <laughs> flying high with John Triotti, who is the owner and chief pilot of the Lake Geneva Balloon Company, where you can experience one-hour sightseeing tours above Geneva Lake area. Welcome, John. Well, thanks, Karen. I'm glad to be here. Well, so many of us have seen the beautiful balloons from the ground or from the lake. I know when I'm out on the boat and just see those beautiful balloons flying overhead, um, I'm, we all wonder, where are they coming from? Where do they start? Where do they end? And how do we get on one? So that's what you're here to share with us today. Can you tell us a little bit about the company and the different options you offer? Yeah, absolutely. And it is kind of a, a, a mystery to a lot of people because we'll just pop up from some location and, and a lot of times it's unexpected. So uh, we do operate here in Lake Geneva. Uh, we've been operating for 18 years um, and mostly during the summer months of July, August, uh, June, July, and August are our big months for the, you know, for the flying, but we fly year round. We fly in the winter as well. So we do uh, one hour sightseeing tours, um, usually at sunrise and a couple hours before sunset. But um, like most people in the area, I was just a, an area resident and uh, I would notice once in a while when I was out tending, you know, to the yard or the kids or whatever, that I would see these hot air balloons up in the air. Never had a desire really to take a ride in one, didn't chase any down. Um, but it came up to a special anniversary for my wife and I. And I thought, wow, 10th wedding anniversary, that'd be something romantic to do. And um, I got into a balloon and fell in love with it instantly through the whole process. And uh, within just a few weeks of that, I was working as a ground guy and uh, planning my, my business here in Lake Geneva already. So neat. So somebody like me who just, it looks stunning. I think I would love to do that once I'm mm -hmm. up, but I'm a little terrified. Uh, what advice do you give people who are really nervous about going up? Well, I think it's like anything. Um, the, the sense of not knowing what you're getting yourself into is stronger than the actual um, negative things that you would feel. Um, so I, I tell people, usually for about the first seven or eight minutes, uh, people are white knuckled. They're holding on to the basket. They're holding on to the uprights. And, uh, and you can see them relax in almost seven minutes. It's almost like a, a clock goes off and I can watch and, and see that, that relaxation. Uh, the, the odd thing is that probably 40% of the people who go on a flight with me will admit at some point, you know, I'm scared of heights. This really doesn't bother me. Um, I'll be quite honest. I, I, I'm not real fond of heights either. I've rock climbed. I've rappelled. Um, I hot air balloon, um, but getting me on a ladder on the edge of the house to put up the Christmas lights was always a very shaky experience. Um, oh, so, ironic. And now you're... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think part of it is I'm, I'm in control. You know, I'm flying the balloon. Um, it feels like an extension of my body. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I've done it 1,400 times in those, oh, wow. those years since that very first flight when I... Uh, I thought it'd be just a romantic thing to do once. Right. So when people go up, how many are typically on a balloon at one time? 
So they manufacture hot air balloons in sizes from just a one person uh, kind of basket all the way to 20 or 30 people in a basket, believe it or not. Uh, those balloons are flown mainly in areas like Africa, uh, India, places with big wide open spaces. But you can see 12 and 14 passenger balloons um, in the state of Wisconsin in some places uh, in the past. Our operation's a little bit smaller. We tend to, to focus on the um, on the private flights for two. We have a couple pilots that fly those. Um, again, they're, they're uh, just two people in the pilot. Um, our biggest basket right now carries six, um, but probably we'll be going up to an eight passenger when uh, we roll around to 2021. Uh, the demand is that high. Uh, we wanna be able to keep the price affordable. Um, when you're flying eight to a basket, you can keep it fairly affordable for people. Um, the private flights are a little bit more expensive um, and because it's more of a, an exclusive type of, of thing. But we have both price points here and we have people who will delve into it uh, at both price points. So that, that's fun. And so once you're up there, so it's the people and then just one other person, just the person flying the balloon and then yeah. the, the guests. And what, I mean, are people talking? Are people just quiet? Is it really windy, you know, or is it silent when you're up there? So, yes, it's just the pilot and the guests. So we never carry like a crew person on board unless there's an empty spot in the basket. And that's kind of a perk of being on the flight crew is that you get a flight every once in a while. But generally at this time of year, we're full. You know, we have guests paid. Every flight is different, not only from the perspective of where you go and where you end up and that kind of thing, but even the people on board. You know, some guests are very raucous and it's a party and even early in the morning at sunrise, you know, they're just into it. Um, other guests, they don't say a word, you know, and you wonder, wow, are they not enjoying it or whatever? Um, most of the time it's quiet, especially in the early mornings because we get them there very early for that what sunrise What time do they flight. have to be there? So right now uh, we're meeting our guests at 445 and some are driving an hour or so to get here. Um, I have to wake up earlier than that even in order to do the weather forecast to make sure that I'm bringing them into town appropriately. And uh, so I'm getting up some days at 2.45 in the morning uh, to call them by 3 so they can get here by 4.45. So a 4.45 arrival time is pretty early for most people. Yeah. Um, but it is the best time to go. It's better than the afternoon flights. Um, we find I enjoy the flights more. Uh, there's something special about that quiet morning um, before people wake up. Um, the animals are still kind of, you know, hanging out, not really active yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, we enjoy it. And then can people pick what they want to see? What route? Or you have one route that you go and everybody knows what that is? And so we'd love to go over the lake every time. The truth of the matter is that, frankly, when you get past the shoreline and, and, and the properties around the lake, especially on the south and west ends, it's all crops. It's all farmland. It's all beans and, and corn forever. Hard to find a landing spot. Um, so we don't always go over the lake. There has to be, the winds have to be a certain direction for us to really go down the lake and do it in a way that we feel comfortable. Um, having said that, every flight is different. So we really don't make that decision until we gather based upon you know, the internet weather that we've looked at for hours, you know, prior to the meeting. Um, literally what happens, we go to, at the balloon port, we put up um, a little helium balloon like a little kid has, right? And we watch what that does. And even after looking at all this high-tech information on the internet, 
we really rely upon this this little party balloon to tell us what is most accurate about the wind and speed and direction that we have at our location. Hmm. It could vary dramatically within 20 or 30 miles. So we have to know exactly what's going on in our area at that time. And so sometimes maybe people get there and you say, sorry, we're not going yeah. up. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, obviously safety <clears throat> is a, is a big factor for you besides the weather and knowing what's happening with the weather. What other things do you do safety wise to make sure that you're safe? So we have a very specific set of circumstances that we use to decide whether we're going to fly or not. You know, that has to do with the weather mostly, mm-hmm. uh, but it could have to do with, with the pilots and their, their health. You know, if you come into the balloon port with a cold or something, especially today with COVID, you know, we're telling people stay home. Um, I haven't, I don't think that I've ever canceled a flight because I was ill. Um, but certainly if I was in a situation where I felt my, my health was compromised, you know, I'd cancel right away. Uh, we're even more, you know, attuned to that in the time of COVID, of course. Um, but the weather is the biggest factor um, in considering that. Um, and we know that we have that very specific set of circumstances that we will and won't launch in. And I'm a strong enough personality now after 20 years of doing this that uh, when people are disappointed, and they quite frequently are, they express it. Um, and I have enough, um, you know, enough gravitas as a pilot now to really shake it off and just say, you really don't know what you're talking about. You know, I have to be that way sometimes yeah, because they're very disappointed. Right, right. You know, they, they circle that date on their calendar for months. They tell their coworkers about it. And sometimes they get canceled six or seven times. You know, it's not unusual to be canceled six or seven times. But they can co- always come back, right? I mean, always. when they pay for it, it's good. Yeah, it, it's they, almost. You can find a flight. You know, unfortunately, it's almost sometimes like a membership for a while, you know, because uh, it can drag into another season. You know, we're very upfront about that. You know, wow. if we lived in Arizona, New Mexico, it'd be really easy. We'd knock down flights, you know, 300 a year because we live in the desert. We don't. Um, now, I happen to think that flying the Midwest is prettier, you know, and, and we see cooler things here. But we also have to deal with weather conditions that are not always ideal for hot air ballooning. So we enter into a, a, a pact, if you will, with folks who purchase from us. You've expressed a desire to do this. We're telling you this is how it works, you know, all up front. Um, it can be frustrating to some people who are not patient, um, who expect to have things right now. And let's be honest, that's a big portion of the society. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I like about it is that ballooning teaches you to be uh, patient. It teaches you to be humble. Uh, it teaches you to be present, you know, in what's going on right now. No matter how much I desire to being up in the air, if it's not a good day to go, it's not a good day to go. Right, right. And thank goodness you do have those standards. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that yeah. wouldn't be outside good. Of, outside of that, you know, knowing the weather, which I do very well, um, having the ability to make command decisions, you know, and, and make those decisions. Um, I have a very well-trained crew. Uh, some of these guys have been with me 15 years or more. Um, we constantly challenge ourselves to be better than we were the previous flight. We get together after the flights and, and, you know, analyze things that may have, you know, need improvements or things that we learned that we think everybody else needs to know about. Um, it's like a family. So we generally have three balloons going out. So you have three different crews of people that are not only working for their individual pilots, but they're working together as a team to make sure all three of us have successful launches and landings. So I was reading, you have this crew who 
make sure you, that you just take off the right terminology, mm-hmm. take launch. off and, yeah. and land. Okay. And then there's like a chaser van that does, what's the role of that? So have you ever seen the movie Twister? Yes. Okay. Cool movie. Yeah. Um, after the, the crew gets us up in the air, they get all the equipment together that we leave on the deck on the ground and they pack it up. And then their job is to stay just a little bit ahead of the balloon so that they can spy out a place for us to land. When I start looking for a place to land. Oh, so you don't know where you're going to land. Not always. Okay. Some days I know. Mornings especially are quite steerable. Okay. And there's days where you can land pretty much, you know, wherever you need to downwind based upon your launch site. But you always take off at the same place nope. or not necessarily? We have maybe, we maybe have a half dozen spots, it, you know, okay. in the area. Yeah. We'd like to add more. Um, it's always better when you have more launch sites because that gives you better um, possibilities for landings. My whole thing is as much as I love going over Geneva Lake. Okay. And I do my whole thing is where I launch in an hour, where am I going to end up? And does that place have lots of little places for me to pick from to, to ensure a safe landing? Most of the time that means flying back into town. Okay. Not flying out of town, but flying back towards town because in town I can land in, Parks, churchyards, schools. Really? So you don't parks. need that much room. I mean, no, nah, we land in backyards. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's light enough, you know. Yeah. Um, in the country subdivisions where we have big five acre spreads and power lines that are buried, we're almost friends with everybody out there and they love us landing in their places. Oh, I bet. That would be pretty you cool know? to be sitting there having yeah. breakfast and see yeah. you guys come down. Yeah. I mean, to the point where, where there are some people who, you know, we, we've picked up crew members who we landed in their yard and they joined the crew. Oh, how you know, So, yeah, for the most part, people are very accommodating. Um, but, you know, the other thing is we're very respectful. We try to ask permission first. We don't always get it because of the timing of everything. You know, that chase crew's got to be there right at the right moment. And sometimes I have to make the landing decision before I can secure that permission. At that point, we're begging for forgiveness. <laughs> Most people are understanding. Yeah. Um, if we've landed there previously, they're cool. I, I mean, because we take turn, we, we, we make sure we're leaving only footprints. You know, we're not turning up anybody's property. Um, and over 20 years, we've maintained that trust with people. And so they allow us to land. Um, now, there's some days when I have authority as far as I know what the winds are doing. And we've launched in a place that puts me in, you know, a good position to land. Um, we used to meet our passengers, our guests at the Lake Geneva Pie Company here in town, or by the Aurora Medical Clinic. Such um, great pie, by the yeah. way. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We love meeting there. Um, I had a crew guy that was going through the alphabet of pies every season. <laughs> he started out, you know, Apple, right? Work his way through right. all the pies throughout the season. Um, but it was I always found my uh, new goal. Yeah, right. <laughs> It was always one of my goals to land in the parking lot, you know, because the guests have already parked there. And if we land in the parking lot, all we got to do is pack up, have our champagne and pie, and, and we're gone. We have to drive back. Well, it took me a long time to, to be able to get the winds and the steering and the capabilities to land in a parking lot, you know, there. One season, about four years ago, five years ago, I landed there seven times, you know, during that season. And on a 4th of July weekend, I landed there four times in a row from four different starting spots. And it was the first time in, in 15 years of flying. I was like, okay, I might have this dialed in. I you can't know. even imagine people, you know, that parking lot is shared by a lot of other places. I just yeah. can't even imagine what it's like to yeah. see so you come in. Let's, let's, let's um, 
manage the expectations of that story. It's not going to be in the evening when there's people there. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, we're meeting at 445. That's right. We're in the air by 530. I'm landing at 630, quarter to seven. Yeah. There's nobody there generally. That's right. That's true. Um, my crew's in the parking lot. You know, they, they've got the area secured. Uh, same thing if we land in, in um, Veterans Park or in uh, some of the local uh, industrial parks. Um, they're there to make sure that we've got crowd control and traffic control, that type of thing. But yeah, yeah, if it was an afternoon where the Aurora Medical Clinic had a lot right, going on. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned champagne. So at mm-hmm. the end of, of every tour, tell us what everybody experiences. So we have a little uh, champagne celebration after the flight. Um, it goes all the way back to 1783 when hot air ballooning was invented. And these guys would fly in these flying contraptions full of smoke. Um, they would land in farmer's fields in France in you know the, the late 1700s and be greeted not in a very friendly way because they thought it was some kind of evil spirit. So the farmers and the peasants would attack the balloon with their pitchforks to kill it and that type of thing. <laughs> well, that got to be very expensive for the balloonists of the day. So they started uh, bringing a bottle of champagne with them. And when they would get out of the balloon and it was deflating and they were being you know, rushed by the peasants and farmers, they could hold up the bottle of champagne and say, no, 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 look, we're Frenchmen. We're from the next valley over the next village and we're willing to share. And so they'd share champagne with the landowner and, and his workers. And uh, then it was pretty much okay if you wanted to land here next time. That's really you know? neat. Yeah. So we still do that today. Uh, we don't share the champagne with the landowners as much. Uh, we'll give them a certificate or maybe a mug or a t-shirt. You know, every company or pilot has their own thing they do for landowners. Uh, but we certainly do that after the flight with the guests. Yeah. How, yeah. how fun. What's the youngest and the oldest you've had go up in here? Um, we, for the company, we don't like, we, well, we don't like really to have kids under the age of eight. Yeah. Makes it's a little sense. bit difficult for them. Their attention spans are not the greatest. Um, they don't listen as carefully as, as kids that are older and understand kind of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but my kids, you know, they all went when they were four or five years of age, you know, bored, stiff within 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. You, and especially because they were around it all the time. Um, we we took a 94 year old a few years ago. Uh, so that's, um, she's the senior of our guest list. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that was, a. uh, <laughs> we flew from the Burlington airport to the new Aurora medical clinic, which is really a mile. Okay. It's literally a mile and it took us an hour to get there. Really? And I was so happy for the soul. It was so boring of a flight. You know, we went one mile in an hour and it's like, we're creeping along. Yeah. Um, but when you have a 94 year old aboard, I'm okay with that. Yeah, exactly. You know, four, four generations <laughs> of one family. Oh, that's and, and that's what we're sharing. Okay. So people yeah. come out here. It isn't even about the flight anymore. It used to be about learning how to fly the balloon and the crew and then building the business, which was a big challenge. Um, but now it's, it's filling these, bucket list of these folks who are doing this for just whatever reasons. In this case, it was four women from the same family, you know, that, that uh, four generations to explore and do, you know, something together. <clears throat> we celebrate, um, you know, uh, anniversaries. We, we do engagements all the time. Um, I'm a registered officiant, so I do weddings aboard the balloon. Oh, you know, great. so we're celebrating people's joy most of the time. Yeah. And um, people ask me what we do for a living or what I do for a living. And I tell them simply, I turn people into 10 year olds, you know, uh, whether they're on the ground or in the basket, you know, it's, it's a childlike type of thing um, that 
overcomes people when they, they, you know, when they are around a hot air balloon. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Well, well I guess I do because I fell in love with it. Now I do it full time. You not know, many that. people can say that they've done that. So it's just yeah. such a special thing. So I know you've had a lot of proposals. Has anybody ever said no up there? <laughs> no. That'd really be awkward, wouldn't it? It would. It would. Um, it, it's, it's already, uh, you know, it took me a number of years to come to the realization that I'm present for a very private time in two people's lives on a regular basis, because most of the time it was done with anybody. It might be done in public, but not with an earshot, right? You know, it's, it's usually not a, a, a very dramatic type of thing. And this isn't either. It's very quiet, you know, usually in the basket when this happens. Um, so I, I've been present for a lot of those and it's, it's really interesting. Sometimes he cries, sometimes she cries, sometimes they both cry, you know, and I did have one young man who called me ahead of time. And I can always kind of tell when, when it's a groom or a guy getting ready to propose because they're always nervous as heck, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy says, look, he goes, I'm just going to tell you, things haven't been going really great. She may say no, and I don't want you to be uncomfortable. And I'm thinking to myself, well, now I am uncomfortable because I know. <laughs> right. So now I'm thinking the whole time, I wonder if she will say yes. I wonder if she will say no. I don't know. They got there and I never really tell the crew either. You know, I don't, I just don't share that information. I mean, usually I'm the only one that knows outside of him. And, uh, and I was watching this couple and they did not act like a couple at all. You know, they kind of look like good friends, you know, buddies. He started off the proposal with a, um, with an apology, which is never a good thing. I've been in sales all my life. You got to lead strong, pal. (laughs) Right. right? And it was an apology. And so I really didn't think it was going to happen. She said yes, but it was kind of look, looked like she was under protest. You, you know what I mean? Because he's in a hot air balloon. So I've spent a lot of money. You know, there's a lot going on here. But what was he apologizing for? I, I don't remember. He'd done something wrong or just he hadn't been really good. And, you know, we're guys. None of us have been really good. Right? Even when we get to the proposal part, we've all messed up. So, you know, you just move on. But but he seemed to have to bring that up during the proposal. Um so we get on the ground, they go their separate ways. And I always say to the crew when I'm in the air, after she says, yes, I say, she said, yes, you know, and, and the crew cheers and, you know, and so they all, they left after the champagne thing and, and, uh, and everybody's like, wow, I didn't even know they were dating. You know, I mean, it was like that. So a few weeks later, we were at a balloon event in Gray's Lake and he called me and said, you know, we got our wedding photographer with us and we'd like to come take some pictures with the balloon with the professional photographer do you mind? And I said, no, come on out. You know, love to have you guys out. And this time they looked like the most coupled couple and it was really sweet. And, you know, they got their pictures and they looked, you know, married or at least like they were going to get married. Um, but I never know. <laughs> so, uh, so you mentioned a balloon event. Now I saw on your website, something about balloon races. Is that something that you take part in? Um, I have over my career, I will tell you that over the last four years, Five years, I really haven't done much with festivals. Um, I helped run the Harvard Balloon Festival for the three years that it went on down in Harvard, Illinois. Um, I spent the early part of my career traveling all over the Midwest, going to balloon events and, and balloon um, races um, to sharpen my skills as a competitive pilot. It's not a race like this balloon gets here first. It's all about accurately steering a balloon to a target. And they have a little bean bag that they put on the center of that target. And uh, it's very exciting. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing it. Um, my business in Lake Geneva has grown to the level that it just doesn't make sense for me to go traveling around the country, going to balloon events when 
I could be here flying my passengers and having a, a good time with my crew and, and our fellow pilots. Um, hopefully when I can turn over the flying, maybe to some younger pilots and, you know, down the road, I'll get back out and do more festivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are fun. Um, but I, I, I love flying Lake Geneva. I think we yeah. have one of the best areas You're in the country here. to fly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how many feet, how, how high are you? How many? So it depends on the day and, okay. and it's three dimensional sailing. So some days I stay low because the winds there are the winds that are taking me to the area that I want to go to, to try to land. Um, some days I have to go really high. I spent almost the entire flight last week at about 6,000 feet, you know, almost a mile high. I generally don't do that unless I really need a wind taking me to a place where I have a lot of choice places to land. Mm-hmm. One of the most difficult things in ballooning is when you get into an area where you don't have a lot of choice places to land. Um, then you're talking about forced landings in places that aren't as good as, as, you know, a nice, uh, schoolyard or a, uh, a park or something like that. Uh, now you're talking about a hayfield that a farmer may or may not give you permission to land in. You know, you certainly don't want to land in beans and corn. Those are our crops and we wouldn't damage people's livelihood. So if you get over a bunch of that kind of stuff, that's automatically with, you know, out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Well, how, if people are interested in um, booking a flight, how do they get a hold of you? Well, the best way is, is to, to call our phone number. Um, and it's easily, uh, it's on our website, which is lakegenevabloon.com. Um, the website has a lot of great information too. Uh, but you can also call uh, 262-206-3975. Um, really, one of the things I tell people is follow us on Facebook. Uh, we have almost, no, we just reached 14,000 um, likes on our page. I saw that. It's an amazing number of people. Um, We're not even close to being the largest balloon ride company in, in the country. Um, but I believe that we probably have the most followers of any balloon ride company. Um, I'm a storyteller in general, so I'd like to tell stories about our flights, you know. Um, and, and I think people, I don't know, they latch onto that. You know, they like to see what we're up to. They love to see the early morning videos. Uh, they love to hear the stories about the people we meet because a lot of times they're really interesting stories. Yeah. Oh, so, I follow you on Facebook and I love it every day. I'm, yeah, I'm looking at your videos and yeah. your stories and it is amazing from way up there how small the lake looks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it isn't, it gets really big though when you're floating across it low and, and you're going like one or two miles an hour and you know, it's eight oh, miles long imagine. and you don't have four hours worth of fuel, you know? Yeah. So on those days where you have really light winds, we like to stay away from both Geneva and Como. For me, one of the prettiest routes we take when the wind is out of the west, we launch at Calvary Church at the west end of Como in Williams Bay and float down Como. Lake Como has the most outstanding sunrises in the area, mm-hmm. better than Geneva Lake. I, I will put it up against Geneva Lake any day, uh, mainly because Como ends in a valley and that valley continues to go east for quite a long ways. And so you can see the sun long before it breaks over the horizon on Geneva Lake, which is kind of uphill and there's a lot of trees. It's just not nearly the kind of view you get over Como Lake. And I probably have the greatest collection of sunrise pictures of of sunrise over Lake Como than any person around does. But, you know, I've I've been flying the area for almost 20, over 20 years and uh, 1,400 flights. So that's a a record in of itself that probably isn't going to be beat anytime soon. Right. Well, it's amazing. And I, I, I will 
get the courage to get up there. I'm thinking it's a nice birthday present for my husband well, <laughs> and I would come along. Come out, and, come out and watch a flight sometime, see <laughs> how the, the so crew, neat. you know, how the crew operates and stuff. Uh, one of the most exciting things um, that I have to mention is that we just signed a lease and we actually have a physical location for the first time ever. Uh, this business is 18 years old and we've been meeting in parking lots for 18 years. And uh, so down at the house of music, um, over on Highway H, we've got a little spot down there for a welcome center um, and uh, and an area where we have our post-flight celebrations with the champagne. It's like a little garden area. Um, but for the first time, we actually have a location and we're going to be able to do some things with that. We can set balloons up in the parking lot and invite people out to get close, you know, not fly, just come out and see, see the balloons, meet that the pilots. So neat. Uh, for years, we've wanted to Could do- Could we still have champagne? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> For years, we've wanted to do a, a Santa Claus uh, thing where we set up the balloons in the evening and have Santa out there and the kids can come up and get their picture oh, with Santa Claus and the balloons. We've never really had a location before that we could do that. If we did, it was, you know, we're going to have to deal with other landowners or whatever. It's our place now to, you know, to do that kind of thing. And it's close enough to downtown that, you know, people don't have to drive halfway out into the country to do something like that. Yeah. So we'll be having more events out there than we, we've been doing. I think that's going to be the biggest change for us. That and people can check into an actual building that has a bathroom instead of, you know, use the bathroom before you get there because we meet in a parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but, great. So people follow you on Facebook and look yeah. for all these upcoming events. Oh, yeah. We're going to have all kinds of fun out there. Great. Well, the last question I ask all my podcast guests this is if you could narrow it down to one thing, what would be your favorite thing about the Lake Geneva area? My favorite thing about the Lake Geneva area. Well, there's no question that sunrise over Geneva Lake and Como Lake and just the area itself, wherever you're at, um, is the most beautiful time. And if you're not a morning person, try to be a morning person. Just one least, day. Right. <laughs> one day or just, you know, decide you're going to do one day a month even, right? I get up early all the time. I always see the sunrise and uh, it never fails to amaze me. And we have one of the most beautiful areas, not in just the Midwest, in the entire country, you know, for people to come explore. Uh, the White River Valley is another area between Lake Geneva and Burlington that is so gorgeous to fly over, you know. So, yeah, that's that's my favorite thing is sunrise over over our area. It's beautiful. You're making me want to get up earlier. So yeah. there you go. Well, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. And we'll have all the, the information on our website paid for people to find you as well. And as always, thanks to the listeners for letting me share my love of Lake Geneva, the natural beauty, the crystal clear waters, the sunshine and the sunsets, but most of all, the people. I'm Karen Stray Rappaport. Join me next time as another guest takes their place in the sun. Bye for now. Cause I feel alright